Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. There is no child of the 80s who won't remember today's guests. For a decade, Pepsi, DeMac, Croquette and Shirley Kemp, better known as Pepsi and Shirley, were a fixture of the charts. First as part of Wham! with Shirley's school friends George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, then as a duo. Their first single, Heartache, reached number two, only being beaten to number one by their good friend George. Even now they enter most of our homes at least once a year, thanks to the legendary Wham! hit, Last Christmas. We had loads of giggles on stage. Sometimes we'll be laughing and not really know what we're laughing at. It was just almost like, look at us, look what we're doing. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) Now friends for almost 40 years, Pepsi and Shirley have written a memoir. It's all in black and white, records the highs and lows of being thrust into the tabloid limelight while still in their teens. Coping with fame and then the loss of it, public success, personal memories and private grief. They joined me to talk about their crazy journey from ordinary working class girls to global chart toppers. Their lifelong friendship, confidence, hormones, miscarriage, mental health and so much more. I hope you enjoy the nostalgia trip as much as we did. Trigger warning, this episode does contain candid discussion of the emotional impact of miscarriage. For an 80s kid, this is a moment. So can I just say thank you? (laughs) Thank you for having us. Lovely to be here. Oh, Shall we just like start at the beginning? Shirley, tell us a bit about how how Wham! started, how it was was formed. So Wham! really was such an organic thing that happened because 
I was obviously friends with George and Andrew. And the one thing we loved doing in the 80s was clubbing and dancing. And the new romantic kind of style dance was a boy and girl dancing together, a bit like kind of the 50s and 60s jive thing. But it was this kind of more new romantic, robotic kind of jive. Oh, yeah. I wish they could see you doing that. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to explain it. So George, Andrew and I just love music. We live for music and we love clubbing and we love dancing. So we used to play music in George's tiny little single bedroom in his house because that's where we kind of hung out in those days, put our records on in his bedroom and we would just dance to it. And it's so kind of innocent and lovely when I think of that time. George and I would just start dancing together and we say, oh, when we go to the club, we should do this dance. So literally kind of just preparing our little moves for the clubs that we'd go to. So then meanwhile, alongside this, George and Andrew were writing songs and they got a record deal. And then what happened was they said, oh, the record company want us to go and do a performance, a, a PA. And they said, would you do it with us? And I said, yes, I would. But what is a PA? And they said, you have to mime and you dance on stage in clubs. And I go, that's weird. So they, like George was like, it's just what we do when we go out. And he says, don't be nervous. And funny enough, I wasn't nervous because I wasn't really doing much. I just emulating what we did anyway so we did our first PA in a gay nightclub somewhere in North London and the applause was incredible and I really couldn't work out what just us with kids who are just practicing in their bedroom and then from that we got asked to do more PAs until we went to Stringfellas one night when I really thought we'd made it because that was like a celebrity club that was for the really yeah. famous and we were just three kids from Bushy so by now we'd asked another girl to come and dance with us one of our other mates no professional people and we got spotted by a TV producer and she said would you guys like to come on Saturday morning superstore the oh, pinnacle yeah i was like what be on the television me so then it just kind of escalated so before George and Andrew knew it we were kind of this little dancing group hub kind of still unprofessional but just mates going on television doing what we do when we went to nightclubs so that's literally the basis of how Wham started but you were a cool girl weren't you you were a punk and I didn't think I didn't think I was cool I was just being me I was just kind of responding to what was happening in my time growing up so punk came about when I was 14 15 and I loved it I loved it I went to every gig I was constantly on the jubilee line going up to the marquee club 100 club any gigs Camden anywhere I could go I mean I should have been at school I used to be so bad at school sat behind my NME and Melody Maker just looking for gigs. I really believe in life when you're connected to something is when when you're at your best and and music just transported me out of a home life that I didn't feel connected to, to a world of people that I felt I connected to so strongly. So, um, yeah, for me, it was about following music and that was my kind of youth was following music. That was one of the things that you two had in common when you met, wasn't it? That kind of being transported out of your home lives into something that was for you. Pepsi, can you tell us how you came to join Wham and your first meeting with Shirley? Well, the way that I came to join Wham was receiving a phone call out of the blue. It is in the book, so I won't give off too many details, leave something for someone to read. But I received a phone call. To this day, in fact, I don't know who gave my name to the Simon Napier Bell office because that's the phone call I received from Simon Napier Bell, who was looking after Wham at the time. I was told I was going to receive a tape, I was to listen to it and just come along and add 
ad lib. And that's what I was known for. I was doing backing vocals for nothing. Like Shirley, it was just about the music. I was sort of learning the trade. And I was a soul girl. I used to bunk off school and go down to Crackers and the 100 Club and listen to Greg Edwards and listen to Northern Soul and do all of that. But anyway, I got into music as a singer. And what happened was I was told to go somewhere be there at a certain time. I didn't question it. I didn't tell anybody about it. So anyway, I rocked up to the studio that I was told to go to. I was very cocky, just really kind of, you know, being there, seen there, done that. But I, was, I wasn't I was nervous, but I was looking around me, just learning, just picking everything up as I kind of went along. I remember going in the studio, saying to the guy, would you like me to go in the studio? And it was like, yeah, just go in, just go to the mic. I'll just play the backing track. Just do your ad libs, la, 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 la. Didn't know the band didn't know anything I was just there as a singer and then sort of halfway through in my sort of lost in my ad-libbing all right come in come in come in come into the booth we wanted to have a little chat with you and I walked in and there was Simon Napier Bell and he started to say to me you love singing great to meet you still I didn't even ask how did you get my name you know just was going along with it it was the 80s everything was possible everything was possible so he said look there's a band called Wham and we're looking looking for another girl to replace the girl that's leaving called DC Lee. And I was like, DC Lee, I know that name. Um, mm. Within my head, I was saying, it's those white boys that rap. That singing <laughs> on top of the pop. It really made me laugh yeah. you said that in the book. <laughs> you know, it felt I was going to be rude by saying it, but I'm glad that I kept it to myself. And I was like, okay, yeah, and they're going on tour and we want you to meet the other girl, Shirley. How about we arrange a meeting and um, there's a show coming up and maybe you'd like to do it. And that was it. And I was like, yeah, sure, fine. Just let me know. I'll be there. I'll go along. Cut a very long story short. There I am at Finsbury Park Station, walking up the steps and there's Shirley at her car telling me to hurry up. She didn't want to get a ticket or anything like that. Got into the car, just landed in the car and we didn't stop talking all the way to Bushy and uh, arrived at George's mum's house. And the first thing I noticed from a girl from, you know, Northwest London, you know, working class family, the first thing I noticed was this white carpet. I was like, oh my gosh, I have never, ever seen white carpet. And there was George's mum who was lovely asking me if I want a cup of tea. And I remember turning my head to the right and there was a picture on the wall of Shirley, George and Andrew. And then from feeling I was in an audition, I felt as if I was walking into people's lives, you know. And that's all I'm going to say. Got to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) But as I speak about it right now to you, Sam, I get so excited because that was the moment my life changed right there. It's crazy, isn't it? Wham was completely transformative. But also you had just met each other. You were going to have one of the most significant relationships of your lives oh my with. God. I mean, doing the promotion for this book, reminiscing for the book, pulling out pictures for the book has made both of us realise how connected we are, you know, and this thing of friendship and history is something not to be dismissed because it brings a wholeness to your your life. And we're at a time of our lives where we've done so much and it's brought so much appreciation as well, especially as women who've come through the business, you know, Shirley having her family, me moving to the other side of the world, getting married, having miscarriages, like overcoming health issues, losing friends and family. It has made me realize, wow, girl, you've come a long way. (laughs) 
and Shirley's been there along the way so yeah amazing yeah that whole journey I mean what were you late teens I was I was much older than the rest I was sort of in my early 20s so I was ancient yeah so (laughs) I was really really ancient compared to this lot but they made me feel incredibly youthful I still do so Hey, don't ask my age yeah. now because I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember. No, well, you just we both look pretty amazing to me. Thank so you. It doesn't really yeah. matter, does it? Doesn't, it doesn't. I wish we were in the same room because it would be so much easier just to have a big old pile-in chat. Yeah, when you're we're, here, we're here. We're here. We're, we're all here. here. We made it. Yeah. So, Shirley, when this girl walked up the steps at the tube and, like, just dumped herself in your car, did you just hit it off instantly? Yeah, because I'm very much that person who it's kind of a good thing and bad thing I don't know that I instantly know if I like you or not um, I have been wrong sometimes some, you know <laughs> you know sometimes you think oh no oh my god I've got to spend the car journey with her oh yeah <laughs> it was like oh she's nice and then we just bonded literally immediately I don't know why I think we didn't know it but actually we have a lot of similarity in our life and in our family life in our, our dynamics she was quite a tomboy and so was I I was always very tomboyish but it was only the 80s that kind of brought out that kind of more feminine side so um yeah for me it's like oh I really like her and I knew by the time we got to George's house that yeah she's going to be the girl because they're going to ask me what did you think of her and I thought yeah she's definitely going to be the girl I didn't know what to expect because you know as far as research goes it was just top of the pops so before meeting Shirley and the but you know they might have shown like a rerun or something like that and I remember Shirley and for me she was this cool chick in the back you know this sort of little pixie cut looking really sexy in a little white dress and everything and I thought I'm not even going to try and compete with that that is not my world you know I was brought up with boys I was a tomboy I wasn't afraid of men you know what I mean but I really didn't know much about femininity so I was like look I'm just gonna rock up as me in my 501 jeans with my t-shirt she can be in a frock but this is me if it's supposed to work it's supposed to work and thank goodness it did so yeah that's really interesting though isn't it because so many people would go oh I need to try to be what they want me to be I have survived and got through life the majority of it of really digging deep and remaining wholesome within myself because I have found that a lot of women especially have tried to live up to other people's ideas of what they need to be and it's brought so much unhappiness and I think it's something I learned from my mother as well because Shirley and I we are definitely our mother's daughters in the sense that you know our mothers had gone through a lot of adversity my mother had but there was a lot of kindness and it's like look we don't have much but be who you're supposed to be in the world always remember you're a good person you mean well you're wonderful whatever you decide to do just go for it so that attitude has always been in my subconscious you know even doing theater you know I learned very quickly you know if you're not good for the part it's not about your talent most of the time it's about the fit it's about the cast fit and I learned that very early on so what you see is what you get basically (laughs) (laughs) Shirley you were really close to your mum too weren't you very very close to my mum and that's where Pepsi and I again we bonded because our mums were really kind of gentle loving mums who had most probably never really been able to express who they were in their life and we were their daughters who were doing it for them almost and they were both reserved with it 
and so proud of us. Yeah, I mean, I was like Peps, exactly. Adored my mum. Absolutely adored my mum. And you both had quite difficult dads, didn't you? Mm, yeah. Yeah. The hard thing with my dad, my dad was six foot six, like built like a tank. So he was like Zeus. He was like when he shouted, he roared and everyone would get out of the way. So I grew up in quite an intimidating atmosphere in my house because it was like living when the lion roared, you know, your bone shook. He wasn't a physical man, never hit us, but he was able to create quite a scary atmosphere just because of his presence. But I remember meeting Shirley's father and he was quite shy with me. Very shy, yeah. And he didn't, he didn't really say very much, but it was very kind of, if you weren't sure about who you were, you know, you would be kind of all, what does that mean kind of thing? But it be like all right all right how you doing I'm okay all right then and that was it <laughs> I got it I totally got it because you know he was the stature of a man but the thing is if I was like oh my gosh a bit scared of him I think he would have scared me but despite all of that there was something shy there I remember and my dad was the same he was an alcoholic for a very long time and that gave him bravado that gave him a sense of like being a bit powerful and everything but unfortunately it was it was detrimental to him and the relationship he had with my mother and his family. But thank goodness, you know, he gave all that up. And he taught me something. He taught me, if you're willing, if something happens that surprises you and shocks you, that's beyond you, you can change. So despite all of that, he taught me a lot. And um, yeah, I value that a lot. Yeah, that's what I think I realised about writing the book. My dad has influenced me more than anyone else in my family. So it's very funny. You grow up and you kind of think this person who you're uncomfortable with, why is that my dad? Why is he like that? And it takes a kind of bit of a lifetime to realise who loved music? Oh, my dad. My dad used to dance with me to the Beatles. Who loved animals? Oh, my dad was mad over dogs. I'm like a replica of my dad without the anger. (laughs) It's so interesting, isn't it? Mm. You know, was it to a certain extent you're just like both ordinary girls from an ordinary background where like ordinary girls were dreams? And I think I can't remember which one of you said that the careers teacher just like put all your dreams down. It was Pepsi. It was me. My goodness me. I mean, I mean, I grew up in an area which was predominantly West Indians, Irish, and a school that was just, it literally had all my cousins in it. You know, it was just ridiculous in the sense that, you know, we interacted with everybody, but I couldn't manoeuvre in a way that I really would have loved the freedom to, but I I found my way okay. But the thing is, you know, watching that Steve McQueen series, I don't know if you saw it, Sam, where there's this scene where there's a teacher with a guitar and he doesn't want the class to talk. They're there for an hour. They're supposed to be sort of like the dunces from the school and they're like in a special school. I was in one of those classes where I wasn't taught anything. I was just taught to be quiet, stop looking out the window. We're here for a moment. I'm just here to make sure that you behave. I was brought up that way. So for me to walk into a careers office, I had dreams about doing other things. I have to say I did have dreams but I didn't know how they were going to come about. And to sit in front of somebody with that kind of attitude where they really didn't care about me, they were there just to do a job. It was heartbreaking. It, I mean, even as, as I talk about it, it's just so sad because I believe in tapping into people's potential, but this person wasn't willing to tap into mine. They were just doing a job. And as far as options, it was like, you're going to work in an office. What do you want to do? Oh, you love traveling. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. We've got a job for you in a travel agency. And it was like, 
okay, then I'll do that. There were no options, but my dreams kept me alive. You know, I knew that there was something else I wanted to do, but I didn't know what it was. But music was always there. How I was going to get there, I don't know. But she said, travel. And I was like, okay, travel. And it was the most boring job I've ever, <laughs> ever had. And I was terrible at it because I was never encouraged. I was there for almost a year. It was 19, you know, the summer of summer. I think it was 1976. Or, yeah. yeah, the summer. The yeah. summer. Yeah. And it was hot. And I remember thinking, I cannot stay here anymore. And I said, I want to leave. And she was willing. She was like, you're terrible at doing itineraries. You're terrible. At the- I think, yes, I think you're making the right decision. <laughs> and I was like, what I'd like you to do before you leave, I want you to put these in the post box. And here is your P45. And I said, thank you. And I remember walking out into the sun. And it was like, yes, I'm free. <laughs> What's happening tonight? And all I wanted to do was dance to soul music. And it was just a revolution. I was so happy. But I was dreadful. I was so bad at it. I would never be a secretary because I was so bad. Dreadful. In the book, you both talk about how important it is to nurture creativity oh. in young people and in your children, Shirley. And it really struck me that when you come from like an ordinary background, like especially back then, where really work isn't about being creative and doing what you love and all that like it's about like earning money yeah I mean especially when you come from a working class family I remember my mum saying you know you've got to pay keep now I said what's that (laughs) she's going okay what you do you just pay keep I mean I had some rotten jobs I ended up in one job where I was cleaning in this kitchen this staff canteen and these ladies all these older ladies said put her over there I remember being really thin and this outfit they put me in this oval was huge on me and the hat kept falling down (laughs) it was like I was trying to keep it all on and then they gave me a Brillo pad and pots, industrial size pots with custard. And I remember scraping the custard and watching my had tears falling in. thing and my lip quivering thinking I got to be able to do more than this I've got to be able to do and I just felt like life was awful then like and that's why for me I was so passionate with my kids I thought I never ever want them to be told you have to get a job because you have to pay keep and I don't care what you do but you just earn money and that's what was what was fed into me I don't care Mm. what you do you earn money so with my kids I just did totally the opposite you know I don't care if you earn money just do something you love because I think we've all got something in is to offer and it really doesn't matter if you're doing a job that you love you feel like every day you're looking forward to whereas you know even if you get a great job and you're earning a fortune and you hate it it's still not good so in our day it was from coming from working class yeah you just go out there and earn money and I don't care what you do do you have kind of like your own roles in the friendship I'm the boss one. You're the bossy one. You're quietly bossy, though. No. That's all the talking. No, no, not at all. Surely <laughs> the chatterbox. I'm, I'm quietly confident, me, and I say that because she can boss me around, but she knows, she knows. If there's something I won't lie, I will say no, and she will listen. The thing I appreciate about Shirley, and I enjoy the bossiness, and I've got to know the bossiness, is that she really sees my potential. You know, when you think when I spoke about the careers woman, who saw my, nothing of me, 
You know, I was just this brown girl sitting in a chair that had an opportunity. But Shirley's always been peps, you know. You've really got a lot more going for you than you think. Because I, despite my confidence, I wasn't self-aware about myself. Where Shirley could see something in me that I'd never really experienced before, you know. So I allow her to boss me around. But when it's I say no, she knows it means a lot of ideas. <laughs> I'm not bossy. I just have a lot of ideas. She knows. No, you I do understand like what I mean, Sam, right? Yeah. No, she has, like she says, she just sees my potential. And it's like, don't do that. Do this. Wear that. <laughs> no, I love, no. Oh, oh, that's a really great colour. Oh, thank you. I did choose right. Yes, you did. Thank you. Good. With me and Shirley, it's like, I find that we're really good at talking about life, you know, in our own way. And uh, we have really deep and meaningful conversations that I really really value. I have it with some of my friends, but somehow it's very different from Shirley. So um, that's something I've always valued about her. And I do appreciate the bossiness because I know why. <laughs> Not bossy. I shouldn't have seen the bossy one. It's bossy. <laughs> In the book, you talk a bit about, you know, that, the importance of talking. So you both come from families where you didn't really talk about it. And also back then, we didn't, did we? You just got on with it. Well, you know, my mum was like an agony aunt. She was a really good Cancerian. I'm Cancerian too. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Cancerian people, to me, I always find that I'm in intimate conversations with them. They like to get under everything and, and work it out, analyse it, break it up. And I enjoy that as well. So with my mum, we could have really good heart to hearts. And as Pepsi says, there's not many people I have conversation with, like with Pepsi, that I, my other relationship, with my other friends, I don't go there because both Pepsi and I have always kind of seeked this kind of spiritual enlightenment underneath. So Peps would go off and read all these books, not the same ones as me. We've always been attracted to totally different books. But then we come together and we put what we've learned from, you know, and we, we just we bring something to each other. There's always an exchange between us. So you don't always get that in relationships. But I always feel when Peps and I are together, it's an exchange. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because you've been through kind of later in your life, I mean, you had endometriosis, Shirley. I think you say in the book that the GP told you it was just period pain. Yeah, so I was 15 and I oh, God. I used to faint and collapse and I mean, very, very ill. That's all I'll say. And my mum had never had a period pain in her life. So she just used to look at me going, she didn't believe it was the period pain because I'd be so ill. So she would call the doctor to our house and he would go, well, it's just a period, nothing wrong with her. Take some painkillers. But it wasn't right. I mean, three days of fainting, collapsing. And then my grandmother said she used to faint and collapse every time she had a period. So then after Wham had taken off and I'd earned some money, I didn't even know there was a private health system or private no. doctors until obviously once you're in that world you realize oh there's private doctors so I, I found a gynecologist once again didn't know that there was a person who would specialize in women's health found this gynecologist and she was beautiful she sat at the desk very gentle big brown eyes and after I told her everything she said I think you may have endometriosis but we're going to have to do some investigation I could have hugged mm. her the mm. fact that someone wasn't saying you're just a bit of a wimp really aren't you you know, it's just a period pain. And these period pains were when I went into labor with my first baby, I was like, oh, so it's like a period pain. And I remember everyone looking at me going, what? And I said, this is the exact pain that I had in my periods. Mm. Oh my so, God. But, you know, now endometriosis is like a word that everyone, a lot of women know now. But no. do you know what, Cheryl? I heard something the other day which just blew me away, which made sense, especially the fact that I saw you go through all of that. Apparently, for some women, it takes about 10 years to diagnose. Really? Yeah. Mm. Can you imagine that? Um, in fact, I heard it on one of one of the breakfast programs on the TV here in the UK, and they were talking about endometriosis. I think that's about as long as you had it. Well, yeah, you think I had it from 15 to about 21 until I was done. I mean, it took and felt like forever. I mean, yeah. it was embarrassing when we went on tour. I would have to just be, stay in the room and not be able to leave the room. And Sam, it was awful. Yeah. When you're watching somebody going through something that you don't know what to do, it's just agonising. I mean, I don't think we could actually describe really how it was because it was so bad, really bad. Also with it, I think on the feminine hormone side, you're suffering mentally. Like I'm a sensitive person anyway, but when near my periods, oh my goodness, my moods and PMT, I mean, oh, all of that. So hard for young girls, all those hormones when when they're not balanced to be yeah. with all that. There's help out there now. There's It's talked about yeah. get, a, get a good doctor that's on your side. It's, it's out there now which is brilliant yeah it's a big difference now isn't it I mean now if you were in that situation it'd be completely different and you would you know young women now would say well this is what's happening yeah. to me and I need to go and lie down and right. yeah. all that but back then you kind of almost had to pretend that well people you weren't a girl got a period, got a period, a period. yeah no, that was that was it yeah Definitely. Pepsi, you, you met your husband a lot later, didn't you? And when you miscarried and then had an early menopause, was Shirley the person that you turned to then? 
It was a difficult time for Shirley. And it was something that I felt that I didn't want to put on her. And it was something that I needed to go through myself. There was a bit of shame attached to it as well. I can't have a baby. So there was a lot James and I needed to work through, actually. So it was a case of if I can't have a baby, what's my life going to look like? I'm going to say it's fortunate for me that, you know, I wanted children, but the desire wasn't so strong. I was willing to do everything and anything to do it. Well, I know there's loads of women that have been through that who continue with the IVF because the desire is so strong there. So for me, I was able to evolve very, very quickly. And at the time I was living in New Zealand and I know that Shirley was going through a really hard time supporting Martin with his health and she was, you know, with her babies and all the rest of it. And it's something I kept to myself. But, you know, I've kind of let that go because my life has evolved so much. I remember having the miscarriage and a sound came out of me like I, I just didn't know where that came from. I howled like a wolf. I mean, my husband was and he just didn't know what to do. It was like this deep, deep sound of loss. And it was very animalistic. And I just howled and howled for like two days because I'd lost this part of me. So how far were you? It was very early, but you know, it was the first time I knew I was carrying a baby and I put a lot of hope and yeah, but it was the early, early months of miscarriage. I was living in New Zealand. Yeah. So I remember thinking, because that was maybe the most distant our relationship has been when you went to New Zealand. Mm. I think kind of met James. It was this whole new relationship with James. But yeah, you never really, really spoke about the miscarriage. I remember thinking she's coping because I knew Peps is a thinker and I remember thinking she's working out her way of dealing with it. Yeah, it was an extraordinary time. And the thing about New Zealand was that it's very deep in tradition, like the whole Maori tradition. And I was kind of getting, not involved, but understanding the culture I was getting into. It's very spiritual and it's got like lots of mythology and where we lived, it was surrounded by mountains. So you were very much connected to nature as you walked out your door. And it was where James and I really solidified our relationship. So despite it being a tragic, really awful time, it was also a time to dig deep and get wholesome and begin to know who I was and what I was prepared to do for my life and how I was prepared to think for my future. So despite it being tragic, it was actually a real life changer for me. And the thing is, my father was ill. He had Alzheimer's. It took two days to get to the UK. And then we decided, no, we now need to go back to the UK. So it was an extraordinary time. And, you know, again, for me, having children, it's a miracle. You know, a lot of people, a lot of women don't appreciate that. So some of us are not being blessed with that privilege of having children so yeah kids are special so treat them well I mean you've been through so many ups and downs in your personal lives but also you know with the end of Wham and then forming Pepsi and Shirley and then the end of Pepsi and Shirley do you think your friendship has sustained you through all those times yes absolutely you know it was never a work relationship it was from the kind of day one really that's what I said if I like someone I really like them and I want to see them again and I want to be with them you know Pepsi supported me so many times she would also like throughout the years she would ring me sometimes are you okay you know 
in different countries for a long time now. And she'd be, are you okay? I'm going, yeah. Oh, well, you've come to mind. And I, I, I think, you know, I've got a feeling you're not. And I'm going, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. She always made more effort to call me because I've always racing ahead. I'm a bit of a racer ahead type of person. Whereas Pepsi is more of like, yeah, she'd call me going, I've been thinking about you. What's wrong? And she was always spot on. And I've never been offended, you know, like when you've got like a girly relationship oh they don't call me so I won't call them blah 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 because I know Shirley's very much in in her life in situation if you're not there she just gets on with it you know and I understand that so for me when I used to think about her sometimes she'd pop up in my dreams and I'd be like oh what's going on what's going on and I'd call her up and as she says there usually is sort of something happening so I called at the right time <laughs> but I'm not one of those people who really ring if when things are, and I think Pepsi is very similar to me when things are going wrong we don't tell each other really straight away it's not like oh I've got to call you and lay all my problems mm. we're both thinkers who want to work our problems out ourselves so yeah I'm not one of those people who ring someone and just bore you for an hour telling you what's gone wrong in my life I'll, I'll try and fix it first yeah. it would take me a long time to ask for help you know that pal that goes you say how are you well <laughs> <laughs> and you're like you're on the phone thinking she hasn't he, she or he hasn't even asked how I am you know what I mean it's yeah. like okay then bye <laughs> <laughs> oh god we've all got those you know what I mean? <laughs> Were there ever any rocky moments like when, like when Shirley, you having like persuaded Pepsi to do Pepsi and Shirley, you then decided that you'd had enough, didn't you? Were there any rocky moments like that? Never, never. You know what I love about our relationship is the honesty we have between us. Pepsi's quite a brick when like... I'm a brick. Well, I can explain (laughs) it. It's like I can be so honest with Pepsi. And she can take it really strongly and she'll snap back just as fast as me. And there's something really real about that. So when someone says something and that that's their choice and that's their life, you don't judge them for it because you know that's what they want. So, yeah, when I said to Pepsi, she knew I couldn't do Pepsi. She was like bright enough to see that Shirley's struggling. She's got the baby. She's got Martin who's somewhere else around the world. So um, I'd whined for many years that I wanted a baby. I'd whined for many years that I would marry Martin. So Pepsi's thinking, well, it makes sense. You're not going to want to leave them now. So yeah. yeah, you were in the music industry in the 80s and it was kind of with everything that goes with that, the excitement and potential, but also all the blokes. How was that? Did you feel like you were on the receiving end of a lot of like macho shit? Or I, was I, it I, I think there were times some macho shit would sort of try to be thrown at us, but we would have a, a glass and it would go splat. In front of them, because the thing is, you know, Shirley always says this, and it's a really great analogy is that that we were brought up with boys. So for us, we were never afraid of men. We kind of got the thing about egos from our dads. So it's like, this is like a bloke thing. Do you know what I mean? We understand what you're just about to say. And the thing is, it's like we dig our heels in, but we always come up with an option. You know, it wasn't never Mm. no, we'd always have another idea. So it would be like, 
Love you girls. Really, oh, fantastic. Let's go for that then. You know what I mean? So yeah. we always had an idea of an alternative way of doing it. And for us, we were always able to walk into a room, sit very quietly and just wait just to see what would be said. We were never girls that would go in and say, well, we've got this idea and we really want to do it. Blah, 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 blah. We're always willing to hear the other side. And usually back in the day, it was always very very cliche what blokes wanted you to do girls we really want you to do this session with blah 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 how about wearing and we'll be like no we're not going to do that if we're going to dress we want to be juxtaposed we want female masculine mix it up fluffy but yet a bit of masculinity and it's like great love that idea our idea becomes their idea so everyone (laughs) and you know that's that's what relationships are like man woman as long as you give a man a little idea they think it's kind of their idea so these are little things that we always knew instinctively and we never felt overpowered by the masculine energy we always we had each other as well two's better than one you know women are and i think will always be prey and, you know, vulnerability is very easy thing for men to kind of see and write. OK, so we just didn't have that vulnerability. Yeah, because I mean, for me, there's no one as big as scary as my dad. <laughs> you know, it's like you ain't anything like my dad. So <laughs> you're not going to scare me. So, yeah, it's the fact that two are better than one. In the book, a few times you describe yourself as like the icing on the cake of wham or the cherry on the icing of the cake or and, you know, Pepsi, you had to choose between singing at the back or dancing at the front did you ever mind being the cherry on other people's cake not for me not for me no we we understood our position yeah this was such a great thing to be part of look you know going back to the careers officer did I want to go back and get those big pans with the Brillo pad (laughs) I didn't have much work experience or talent to do anything else. So for me, I always had gratitude. And I think that's a really important thing to be aware of in your life is gratitude, you know, not cockiness and think, actually, I'm better than this. And it wasn't, I always thought George's talent and George and Andrew together were such a great force. But for me, it was like, this is my university. I didn't like peps. I was terrible at school, no qualifications. This was my gift of learning a trade. And we did. We learned from the best. One would say, Mm. you know, um, six feet from fame. We were closer than that. We were one centimetre from fame. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've got to imagine this. You've got like this amazing band behind you, you know, holding the tune, holding the beat. There's us, right, feeling the beat. And then there's two people in the front just moving this energy. And then in front of that, there's the energy of the crowd. So we were able to feel what's behind us and watch the best in front of us and see the appreciation of the crowd. So it was our universe. We learn a lot from them. So, for instance, even now when Shirley and I go on stage, it's not like you go there, you do that, you do that. It's just an energy. It's like a we just know how to flow because we used to watch it happening in front of us and it just used to work it was like a dance it was like a flow it was like you know like cooking and putting the recipe in and the spices and knowing what to do and how to come together so it was very instinctive but it was a lesson that we learned that was happening right in front of us so one was our university I always loved it when we used to go on stage because we wouldn't be on stage for the whole thing and we would come dressed for the song and the theme and you would see George and Andrew both huge 
smiles when we came on every time or every song because they knew that it gave a break for them almost. It's like, oh, all right, we can kind of concentrate on just being with the girls now. So we've always treated really nicely and, and kind of special. I, that's what I'm saying. That kind of cherry on the top wasn't like, oh, little bit of glamour. It was just like we're coming to do what we do, have fun on stage. Yeah, it was a, it was a definitely an energy. And it, we had loads of giggles on stage. Sometimes we'll be laughing and not really know what we're laughing at. It was just almost like, look at us. Look what we're doing. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, And sometimes I remember some of that very early concerts where my ears were just getting in tune with hearing the decibel of the screams to the point mm. of we were able to talk to each other on stage. Like, you're all right, you're all right, you know, and we'd be like, <laughs> go, you're all right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it was so loud. I mean, it was just extraordinary, the energy. It's fantastic. What do you think has made your friendship really endure the way it has? Our honesty. Yeah, and love. We're very funny together. Yes. Yeah, I know. Everything we do is just animated. Um, you know how French and Saunders have that? relationship I kind of have that same thing with pets because we have this sister kind of relationship but we have this work relationship too so we're relying on something from each other you know for work but then we have the most honest relationship which most probably is why the work works we see the humor in it you know it's like not to be taken seriously the majority of it is not to be taken seriously I mean, the fact that we're having this great conversation is lovely. It's feeding us. It's like we're we're exchanging. This is a relationship in itself. And um, I think that that's what we thrive on is that the reality is, is that just have fun. Just feel the love of it, you know. And the thing about creativity, it's about sharing. So we're talking. We know there's going to be people listening to this. And we want them to share in the experience us three are having right now. And we understand that. It's not our ego. Mm thinking, well, they want to hear about us and they want to know yeah. about us. You know, it's like, no, we want to share our story with you. And that's the thing that we've learned along the way, that the audience are just as important and you've got to be generous and you've got to be giving. But at the same time, you need to know yourself, hold yourself with real feet on the ground, know who you are, know who your friends are. And you're good. That's it. And how did you find reliving it all in the memoir? Oh, my gosh. Um, Emotional. I felt grateful doing this, being able to share our story. And, um, you know, I really love Shirley. And I I love George and I love Andrew because they helped to direct my life as to where I am now. For me, it really was rediscovering because my memory is terrible. I'm not a person (laughs) who lives in the past much. I'm a forward mindset everything's in the future for me so when peps and i were in the process of writing the book we would do these whatsapp calls and peps had all these pictures that i had not seen before so imagine you're seeing pictures of yourself in your early 20s and i was going to her where's that who's that and she's like that's you oh, the pictures <laughs> in the book are amazing they're so yeah. good I mean, some of the, you know obviously we wanted to put loads more pictures in because peps has got some brilliant ones But um, it was really rediscovering myself and thinking, wow, because I sometimes suffer from feeling like I haven't done enough, I haven't achieved enough. And what have I really done? You know, but there's something great about because I never kept diaries or anything. So it's really lovely for me to hold that book now and say, well, that's my story. That's amazing. Okay, I'm going to ask you both the questions that I always ask at the end now. What's your emotional age? 24. That's me, Pepsi. 
Why 24? Because that's where my life started to kind of evolve into who I am now. And it was a whole lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) It really looked like it. It was. What about you, Shirley? I'm going to go forward because emotionally I feel really much older than I am because I feel I've experienced so much. So I don't know. I feel like an older woman. A much older woman. I wish I had this mind when I was a young girl. So yeah. I definitely do not feel like a young girl. Mentally, um, I'm a nurturer. I'm, you know, problem solver. So I kind of feel 70, I'll say, my emotional age. That's the thing, so I interesting. Have to, I have to say, though, but at 24, I did feel 70 because I was a very deep thinker as well. So when I say 24, it's more about what I was experiencing and what was around me. But mm. like Shirley, always a deep thinker. But I wouldn't put 70 on it. <laughs> You're well, making such a face. I'm already at 70. What advice would you give younger women? Oh, wow. Well, oh. confidence is everything. I think confidence, not looking for adulation from others. Just work on your confidence, you know, because I did not have that confidence when I was younger in that sense. I felt quite intimidated by a lot of people, especially older people. And the young people, especially girls that I meet, when they've got confidence, they sparkle. And that confidence gives them an interest in learning to be better. And I really can notice the difference with young girls with confidence. So just know that. Just know that confidence is everything. Have you got more confident as you've got older? Yes, I go through kind of phases of it, but I can lose lose my confidence like that and that because it gets triggered back to my school days when I wasn't very clever and wasn't very bright so I can get triggered back to that when I lose my confidence it's a horrible place to be so it's my, it's my worst place when when I lose my confidence what do you do how do you get it back sorry I'm going off on one well, now I'm at... well I get it back it it takes a kind of time it takes that time to know that you know the process I go through is that I'm kind I'm a kind person I'm a nice person and then I it's reevaluating morals of life what's important whereas I think well you can get the most intelligent people and they're wicked and they're cruel and they've killed someone I've never hurt someone and then I re-forgive myself and then I'm boosted I'm blooming again I think that's really helpful for anybody who has like those kind of confidence crises that kind of come out of nowhere don't they yeah yeah absolutely what about you Pepsi in terms of your advice for younger women Uh, I'm gonna latch on to what Shirley says this thing of confidence and kindness so for me my personal confidence comes from understanding what I'm doing. So if you're going to go into a business or become an entrepreneur or into your music, just do some research, you know, do a bit of studying to the point of not being rigid in what you choose to do, but have an understanding because I think my lack of confidence has come from not understanding. So when someone is confident, they understand what they're doing. They have a sense of what they're doing. And the kindness helps to balance that out. You don't become arrogant and egotistical. You understand because you've made efforts to understand what you're doing and be kind to yourself because that makes you enough. So for years, I've really struggled with not feeling enough. This hasn't happened because I'm not enough. And when I really look at it, what I didn't do was really understand and really get to know 
what is it that I wanted to do? Because once you have an understanding as to where you're going or what you want to do, you're enough, you're good. Because I think we go, well, I'm not enough. This always happens to me, blah, 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 blah. And usually it's because they've thrown caution to the wind and they've not really dug deep to understand or done the research or learn a little bit about business or learn a bit about money, you know, understand what you make, what you don't make, learn how to save, put away for a rainy day, all of that. Just get in there and have an understanding of it. And to me, that builds confidence and be kind to yourself and others. That's great. Who would be your old bird role models? So older women who inspire you? Oh, I love Jane Fonda. She's crazy, isn't she? She's so cool. Yeah. And you know, she's been through a lot. You've got to remember, she's gone through that whole thing, totally judged on her beauty, had an awful childhood, no relationship with her mother. That to me would be so tough not to have a relationship with your mother. And now look at her. She's such a campaigner. She's, she's such a strong woman. She owns her own life. I really admire her. Of course, I love Oprah. Yeah. You know, I always turn to Oprah every now and then. But oh, there are so many older women. But Jane Fonda just came to my head straight away. Oh, mm. gosh, for me, there are quite a few but there is somebody at the moment that I am just like in awe of is Bernadine Avaristo she's amazing and I she? am it's like oh my goodness what an inspiration boy has she come a long way she deserves all the adulation she gets for really following her passion as a writer as a poet as a director in theatre and when everyone said no she was still going yes 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 and for her to get the adulation and get the Booker Prize and all of that that she it's so well deserved and it's encouraging for me because I've become a writer I'm writing and the way she has taken her creativity it's somebody that's just unleashed and it's like there's no rules she's just making her own rules and at the moment for me it's her she's really inspiring me at the moment have you read her new book Manifesto not yet I read the, oh, the I think girl you'll love it. woman other that's the one that yeah. really blew, blew my mind but I am in the market for the manifesto so I'm going to go to a good bookshop. I think you'll really like it because it's all about that. It's all about her her journey and sticking with it through everybody ignoring her and being told she couldn't. Right. So very quick answers to these two then and then I'll release you. What's your superpower? Being natural. My creativity. That's brilliant. And lastly, how many fucks do you give? To who? (laughs) (laughs) We do give a fuck, but a majority of it, it really doesn't matter. I'm not conscious enough to be thinking that I should be thinking that. I'm just That's so interesting. Okay. Just, You're just full steam. Yeah. Yeah. What? Am I meant to be thinking something? If you, if you no. give an F for everything you do, yeah. you wouldn't do anything at all. So you might as well just not bother. Yeah, I'm not even thinking that I should be giving a fuck. Yeah. God, you're both absolutely brilliant. I've had the best hour. Oh, Thank you so much. I love it. it. Thank you. Really good luck with the book. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review, and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to know more about my own experience of shifting, my book, The Shift How I Lost and Found Myself After 40, and You Can Too, is out now in paperback. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. 